So go ahead and um, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. No, that's wrong. Matthew chapter 19. That's where we're at this morning. Matthew chapter 19. And we pick up the reading in verse 13. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get a Bible in, into your hand. Um, we're going to be looking at a, a couple different verses and accounts of the story. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, Matthew writes, Then little children would bro were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hand on them and departed from there. And so that's it for us. Just those three verses. That's what we're going to be looking at today. If you're visiting with us uh, this morning here, at Calvary Chapel, Truckee. You know, Sunday mornings, we've been going through the gospel of Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And our desire is that the Holy Spirit would teach us, you know, all that we can know about Jesus Christ. That's what we want to learn. Everything that he said, everything he did. And we want all of it to become part of our lives and part of our understanding. And so this morning, as we look at these three verses in Matthew, you might also want to place your finger in Mark chapter 10, specifically verses 13 through 16. You might want to have a bookmark there because we'll be going back and forth between these two accounts in order to gain a fuller picture of this event in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to remind you uh, that this portion of Scripture comes right on the hills of Jesus' teaching regarding marriage and divorce. And so in chapter 19 of Matthew, Jesus gives us the whole uh, sanctity of the home. And I also want to direct your attention to the fact that it's from this passage of Scripture that we have one of the most beautiful portraits of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in all of the Bible. It's from this passage in Scripture that many artists have painted pictures of Jesus with children on his lap, children in his arms, uh, blessing the kids. And we see here just the great love and interest that Jesus has in little kids. And this morning, instead of just blowing through this portion of Matthew's gospel, you know, I want us to take time to look at it carefully. That's why we're only looking at, at three verses. I want to see in it the heart of Jesus as we seek to know him better and as we seek to walk with him in a manner that's fully pleasing to him. So we're going to break these verses down. We're going to outline these verses. We're going to put them in three divisions. First, what it speaks to us as parents. Secondly, what it speaks to us as, um, you know, followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus. And thirdly, what it speaks to those who may be with us this morning or watching online who are unsaved. So first, this passage speaks to us as parents that we need to bring our children to Jesus. You know, it's a very simple truth. 
And I know that's not any earth-shattering revelation. Nobody's fervently scribbling. We need to bring our kids to Jesus in their notes. But you know what? It's a very important truth, and it can't be overlooked. Verse 13 says, Then little children were brought to him, that he might put his hands on them and pray. These kids were brought to Jesus, probably by their mothers. You know, in some cases, I'm sure fathers were bringing their kids to Jesus, you know, here in this scene. And I'm, and I'm very, very certain that grandparents are bringing their grandchildren to Jesus. We're not actually told in the scripture here who's bringing these kids to Jesus. And I think it's nondescript in order that we might place ourselves in the story. We might put ourselves in the story of bringing little children to Jesus. These parents, and again, I'm sure grandparents, brought their kids to Jesus in a time of his life and ministry when it was actually dangerous to do so. You know, it's at this point in time that the religious leaders, you know, the Jewish religious leaders were actively plotting how they might destroy Jesus. I mean, they're actually conspiring how they can put him to death and be rid of him. So these parents and grandparents, guardians of, guardians of these children, are actually taking a considerable risk in seeking to publicly identify with Jesus, publicly seeking his blessing on the lives of their children. You know, in today's culture, I think, if you're currently not experiencing something similar to that, you know what, you're going to. You're going to experience something like that. You know, maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe, you know, your children of your grandchildren, other family members, ex-husbands, ex-wives, you know, they, they can just get up in arms because you're seeking to bring your kids, their grandkids, to Jesus, seeking to raise them with the knowledge of him, seeking his blessing on their lives, you know, encouraging them to memorize Bible verses, bringing them to children's ministry. And a result of all these things, you know, it's working in the children's life where they're beginning to speak openly with some degree of familiarity of the Lord. And it's beginning to alarm those that don't know Jesus as their Lord. And you know what the Bible would say and teach us? Jesus would say, don't worry about it. You know, above everything else, bring your kids and your grandkids to Jesus. Do what's best for the children. Bring them to him. You know, they brought their children to Jesus in order that he would lay his hands on them and pray a prayer of blessing on their lives. Why would they bring their children to Jesus for a blessing? Well, you know, it's because they recognize that Jesus was able, that he has blessings that he alone is able to bestow upon their children. Blessings that the very best of us as parents and grandparents, you know, we just don't possess those blessings. Things like salvation, perfect wisdom and direction, constant fellowship throughout all their lives, infinite love, infinite grace, infinite power, meaning and purpose for life. You know, and 
as these kids were being brought to Jesus for a blessing, it raises the question, at least in my mind, it raises the question, where do we bring our kids and our grandkids so that they might be blessed? McDonald's? A toy store? Toy store? I almost said toy story. <laughs> we sit them in front of toy story. You know, we want to bless our kids. So where do they, where do we bring them? And this is the challenge for us as parents and grandparents. Where do we bring our kids and grandchildren today in our culture in order for them to be blessed? Well, it better be to Jesus. Because you know what? He's given us these kids and grandkids. They're on loan. They're his kids. And it's a matter of stewardship. He, he knew them before they were conceived. The Lord told Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5 says, Behold, I formed you in the womb. Uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even in his mother's womb, God knew him and had a purpose for his life. You know what you see often, and, and uh, one reason why, you know, so many people come to uh, the Lord uh, once they have kids, is now that they have this little child in their life, now that they're holding, you know, and caring for this precious little life, they begin to realize that they have this enormous responsibility uh, of forming and shaping and fashioning this child for adult life and then the life to come. And you know what? They realize, man, I need help. I need God to help me with this. So, you know, they don't want their, they don't want their kids. And maybe this is the way you felt about it too. It's certainly the way I felt. And I didn't want my kids to be, you know, a byproduct of my wisdom and my experiences. I didn't want them to live the life, to experience the life that I experienced, you know. So parents will bring their kids, unsaved parents will bring their kids to church and they start bringing their kids to Sunday school. And very often those parents uh, come to Jesus as a result. You know, if you're only going to get one thing right as a parent, this is the one thing you want to get right. Bring your kids to Jesus. You know, to illustrate this, allow you to share a little bit from my childhood. I can remember when I was as young as five years old, uh, our neighbors across the street, Bruce and Evelyn Nelson, they were Christians. And their son, Sean, he was my best friend. And every summer, they would invite me to vacation Bible school. And you know what? I loved it. Every summer, you know, I loved hearing about Jesus, you know, and uh, I'd hear about his death and resurrection, and I would hear about my sinful state at five years old. I was a sinner, right? And I would hear about the free gift of salvation, and every summer when an invitation was given, you know what, I'd raise my hand because I knew, I knew I wanted forgiveness for my sins at five years old. I knew I wanted forgiveness for my sins, and I wanted to go to heaven, and Bruce and Evelyn Nelson loved Jesus enough and they cared enough for me to invite me to VBS to hear about Jesus and God's plan of salvation for myself and all mankind. You know, my grandparents, they were uh, Christians also. 
And, you know, my mom and dad would allow me to spend weekends with my grandparents. And I always looked forward to those weekends. Um, you know, I love spending time with my grandma and grandpa. And my grandma and grandpa would always talk to me about Jesus. They were always singing songs about Jesus. They were always telling me Bible stories. And, it, and, and they made it fun. And they made it interesting for me. And because they loved Jesus and the Bible, they took, that, they took that, um, that desire and just tried to instill it in me, right? And every Sunday they would go to church. And every Sunday I was with them, they would get me ready and they would take me to church. And I was a very young boy at this time. My grandma and my grandpa told me Bible stories. Um, they told me stories about Jesus. They took me to church because they loved Jesus and they wanted me to know Jesus you know, and love him too. And as I grew older, as it often, you know, happens, staying with my grandparents for the weekends, you know, that, that began to grow less and less attractive, you know? So I stopped going. I can't tell you, can't really remember if it was because, you know, I rejected offers to stay with them or that just desire just faded away. I don't really know. Whatever the case, I never lost the love that I had for them. We also had neighbors up the street that were Christians, Ralph and Barbara Summers. And Barbara and Ralph, they were just the sweetest people, you know. They lived their faith. And I could see that as a young boy. They were living their faith. Barbara was an amazing artist. And Ralph gave me my first job mowing his lawn as a, as a young boy. Both of them were examples to me of what a Christian was supposed to be like, right? They had a son... Barbara and Ralph had a son who was much older than I was, so I don't actually remember him. But his name was Alan. And somewhere along the way, Alan got caught up in drugs and he became a junkie. And somehow, you know, I'm not um, entirely sure what it is that he did, but you know what? He wound up in prison at the State of California Men's Correctional Facility in Chino, California. And while he was in prison there, his parents, Barbara and Ralph, they meant a, a prison chaplain. And his name was Louis Figueroa, right? Louis was the number two guy in Nikki Cruz's gang in New York. So if you've ever read the book, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade or Run, Baby, Run, you know who I'm talking about, right? Anyway, Barbara and Ralph, they had a Bible study in their house that Louis led. And when I was 11 years old, they invited my family to the Bible study in their home. And because Bruce and Evelyn Nelson, along with my grandparents, had poured into me at a younger age, I had developed this affinity for God. So I wanted to go to that Bible study uh, with my mom. And when Nikki Cruz came to town and held a rally at Melody Land, some of you older SoCal folks remember Melody Land, you know, uh, my mom and one of my sisters and I, we went and I heard the message of the cross and I heard of the forgiveness of sins that was being offered. And I knew it was what I wanted and it was what I needed. I was 11 years old when I walked down to receive Christ as my savior. But I actually didn't really understand what was involved in asking Jesus to come into my heart, to come into my life. But I knew I wanted him. At 11 years old, I knew I wanted him. I just didn't understand that he wanted to come into my life 
and then express his life through me, through my life. I didn't understand he wanted a relationship with me. You know what? I just thought that, you know what? God's up there and I'm down here and we're okay. That's just it. I didn't completely understand because no one explained this part of Christianity to me. They just, I don't know, they left it out or I wasn't listening. I don't know. But even so, I started going to a church in our city. I'd ride my bike uh, across town to go to church on Sundays. You know, and it was there that my first Bible was given to me. I still have that Bible today. It's in my library. But again, because no one explained this relationship that Jesus wanted to have with me, you know, I began to fall away. And then our family moved across town. And then I stopped going in church entirely. I never lost the affinity that I had towards God and Jesus, though. I always had that in my heart, right? In my teenage years, we moved again. We moved to another city and I fell into the wrong crowd. You know, I started drinking and I started doing drugs and I found that I uh, enjoyed them. I really enjoyed them, you know? And I very quickly, uh, you know, began to focus on drugs and drinking, getting high, partying, chasing after girls. I mean, that was the focus of my existence. Drinking and drugs was a major part of my daily life. And you know what? What happens, happened to me, life just began to grow harder and harder for me. And I got tired of living. You know, I got tired of life just in general. I was 20 years old, and you know what? I was trapped in a lifestyle that there was no way out, and uh, I wanted to get off the ride. I was done, 20 years old. There was no longer any joy in anything for me. Anything that I did, was it, it was all emptiness. Life was hopeless, and I was a slave to this lifestyle. I was a slave, and I couldn't say no to anything that this lifestyle uh, presented to me. You know, it was never spoken out loud, but I knew my grandma was praying for me. And by this time, my grandpa, uh, he had already gone to be with the Lord. I knew other people in my family were also praying for me, but you know, it didn't actually mean as much to me as my grandma praying for me because I knew she loved me. I knew my grandma and grandpa loved me because they were willing to share with me the most important thing in their lives. And that was Jesus. Well, one day, as a teenager, <laughs> I met this girl and she began to tell me about Jesus. And because Bruce and Evelyn in my history with VBS, because, my, uh, because Barbara and Ralph and, you know, going to the Bible study in their home because my grandparents and the stories that they would tell me about Jesus, because they made going to church as a young kid fun for me, because they all reached out to me and helped create in me this affinity for God and Jesus, I was willing to sit and listen to what this girl had to say. You know, it didn't hurt that she was also very attractive too. <laughs> but she told me about the relationship that Jesus wanted to have with me. That he loved me 
and that he wanted me to let him love me. And for three months, this girl named Tina told me that Jesus didn't want me to give anything up. He just wanted me to come to him and let him love me. He just wanted me to come. And because I was so empty inside and tired of life, hearing that Jesus loved me was what I needed to hear. And I asked Jesus into my life 43 years ago this coming March. And you know what? It's a decision I've never regretted. And it's a decision that came with unimaginable blessings. You know, I stand before you today, a missionary and a church planter for 15 years. You know, I've shared Christ on three continents and roughly 20 different countries. And you know what? Now I'm the pastor of this church. And it's all because people were willing to pour into me. All because they brought me to Jesus starting at a very young age. You know, they cared and loved me enough to tell me that Jesus wanted to forgive me of my sins and was willing to do so if I would just let him into my life. You know, and they didn't leave it there. They prayed for me. They prayed that I would come to know Jesus. And all these people pointed me to Jesus in a way that I can never forget. And I'm eternally thankful for. You know, and it all started when I was a little boy. If I hadn't been introduced to Jesus as a young child, I don't know where I'd be today. If that affinity for God, which moved me towards him, had not been developed in my life through people who were actively trying to introduce me to Jesus, you know what? My life would be completely different today. You know, somebody might say, you don't know, Gary. You don't know how your life would have turned out if you didn't have these experiences. You know, and I, I'd have to say you're right. I don't really entirely know. But what I do know is even with those experiences, I was wasting my life. You know, if it, I'm pretty sure if I didn't have those experiences, I would have been successful at throwing my life away. If you're going to get one thing right as a parent or a grandparent, this is the one thing you want to get right. Bring your kids and grandkids to Jesus. And Mark 10, 16 assures us that if we will do it, Jesus will bless them. Secondly, this passage speaks to us as the disciples. Uh, verse 13 then little children were brought to him that he might put his hand on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. So these unnamed uh, people, moms, dads, grandparents, they bring their children to Jesus that he might touch them. You know, they know Jesus is the healer. They know Jesus is the prophet uh, from Nazareth. And these people have enough regard for Jesus and they know enough about him that they bring their kids to him. They're not intimidated by him. They feel perfectly comfortable bringing their kids to him. But the disciples are rebuking them, giving the wrong impression about Jesus. I mean, it just cracks me up because I see myself in the disciples sometimes. What Jesus had projected to the people about himself was 
completely welcoming and inviting, so much so that none of these parents and grandparents hesitated in the least to bring their little ones to Jesus so that he would take them up on his lap, so he would hold them in his arms, and so that he might pray for them a prayer of blessing upon them. And Matthew tells us as the children were, were brought to Jesus, to receive a blessing, verse 13, says the disciples rebuke them. Now, we miss in our English translation uh, the tenses of the events that are going on here. So literally, it's this. The disciples are continuing to rebuke those that are continuing to bring their children to Jesus. All these moms and dads and these grandparents, they keep bringing these children to Jesus. And the disciples rose up in order to prevent them from coming to Jesus. And you know what? It, it might have been completely innocent on the disciples' part. They might have thought, you know, that Jesus was too busy to be bothered by kids or that, you know, uh, these children coming to him, it's below the dignity of a rabbi or the prophet of Jesus is standing to be bothered with these kids. You know, they might have looked at the kids and thought that children aren't very important, relatively speaking. After all, this is a pivotal time in the life and ministry of Jesus. You know, they might have been trying to project, uh, protect Jesus's time and uh, strength so that he could focus on the teaching and healing of the multitudes that are following him at the time. You know, whatever the case, when Jesus sees what's going on, his reaction to the disciples attempting to keep the kids from coming to him was very, very strong. Verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for, such, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, stop getting in the way of people coming to me. If they want to come to me, let them come. Mark helps us understand the situation a little better when Jesus utters uh, this rebuke. Mark says in Mark 10, 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, right? He was upset by what was going on. It offended him, right? It made him irate. Literally in the Greek, Jesus was moved with indignation, right? Jesus has indignation towards his disciples here. This is the only time in the Bible the word meaning indignation is used of Jesus. The disciples... You know, they made mistakes. They made a lot of mistakes. And Jesus rebuked them lovingly. He corrected them lovingly. You know, I'm often surprised uh, as I think about how gentle, you know, Jesus was with his disciples. Because, you know, like me, they're slow to learn. But the only time in the Bible that we see Jesus even the least bit cross with his disciples is when they're attempting to keep children from coming to him. 
You know, we saw previously in the, in the gospel, Matthew, you know, some studies ago, Jesus called a little child to himself in order to teach the disciples who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, and I think it's very safe to say again, you know, that the disciples were very slow to understand. What can be further from the truth and the kingdom of God than a closed door in the face of children? You know, we see in, in Mark chapter 10, 14, that Jesus is very displeased with what the disciples are doing. And Jesus doesn't get indignant and irate very often. So we need to allow this to capture our attention, right? Out of that displeasure, verse 14, Jesus rebukes the disciples and says, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. You know, I think when most of us read this rebuke, though, you know, it doesn't come anywhere near any of us. You know, I, I think it's something that we often probably just skip over because I would never deliberately do anything to stand in the way of a child coming to Jesus. But instead of skipping over this rebuke, you know, we need to see that something here really displeases Jesus. And we want to identify that so that we would never be guilty of it. So let's give it some serious attention. Is Jesus's displeasure limited to those who turn kids away for the sole reason of thinking that Jesus is too busy for them? Or does it include any activity that inhibits little children from coming to Jesus? What about the Christian parent who fails to bring their kids to church for months and even years because of their own lukewarmness? What about the Christian parent that only gets their kid to church every second, third, or, or, or fourth week because their priorities are upside down? You know, the weekends are for fun. You know, it's about relaxing. It's about having a good time. It's all about sports, right? It's for going here. It's for going there. It's for getting things done. And they don't see the, the vitally important uh, they don't see it as vitally important for laying a spiritual foundation in their children's life. You know, if we happen to be around on Sundays and we don't have anything better to do, then you'll see them in church. That is if they don't sleep in, right? And they model for their kids that everything else in life is more important than God. And he's willing to accept the leftovers because he only deserves the leftovers, certainly not the best part of the week, then one day those parents are surprised to see their kids grown up with little to no respect for God, no reverence for God at all because of what they've seen their, uh, in their parents' lives. And this is not an uncommon scenario, not at all. If you've been involved for any length of time in youth ministry, you find that the hardest kids to win are those whose parents don't prioritize church. 
they don't see their parents living what they say they believe. Well, what about the child who's the most spiritual one in the family and is forced to beg and plead with his parents to bring them to church? You know what? A childhood is a very limited and formative time of life. And we need, as parents and grandparents, to use every bit of that time in their lives in order to build a godly foundation in their lives because we'll never have that chance again. Someone once said, the tree is in the seed. And what's meant by that is when you're fashioning a child, you're also fashioning an adult, right? To a very large degree, you're setting the course for adult life in that child. And it's one of the crazy things, I think, again, this is the way I think, as you grow older, you begin to realize just how powerful those impressions are that were made upon us as a young child, right? And they remain with us throughout our lives for good and for bad. And it's because of those who cared enough for me and wanted to introduce me to Jesus. Bruce and Evelyn invited me to VBS. Barbara and Ralph invited me to the Bible study. My grandparents taking me to church. You know, it's because of them, I have this great love for God and for church, right? I believe in the power of church in a child's life, all because I was told about Jesus and taken to church as a young child by people who cared for me and loved Jesus. Now I have this great love for Jesus myself, and I have this lifelong love in my heart for church, and I'm never gonna lose it either because now it's part of who I am. And nobody looking at me as a child would have ever thought or dreamed that God was doing anything in me in regards to eternal life. You know, in fact, I heard it from more, from more than one person that I'd probably be dead or in prison by the time I was 21, you know? Only God knew what he was doing in me. And it all started when I was a little boy. When my grandparents took me to church, there was nothing that you would have thought even appealed to me in the least as a young boy. You know, after all, church is filled with old people. You know, and you know how it is when you're, when you're young, everyone does look old, right? But in that church, I experienced something that I couldn't find any other place in the world. And it's what caused me to be willing when Tina was witnessing to me about what Jesus wanted for me. When I was little, going to church with my grandparents, I'm sure it looked like everything, you know, was going in one ear, quickly going out the other. You know, if I didn't have lifesavers or a pin to color in the O's on the bulletin, you know, I was a handful. But that wasn't the case, right? I have been permanently impacted by the power of the gospel message, by the power of the love of God's people, and by the power of godly examples, examples of Jesus, you know, disciples of Jesus, examples like my grandma and grandpa 
like Barbara and Ralph, like Bruce and Evelyn. People said and thought that I was a lost cause and I would probably be in prison or dead by the time I was 21. But God was working. One of the things that I think we need to be careful as parents and grandparents is this area of becoming spotty in our church attendance because it just doesn't affect us. It affects our kids and our grandkids. You know what? When we miss, they miss, right? And they only have one childhood during which this foundation must be laid. One of the biggest tragedies I see in the church today is children who have been raised in the church. You know, kids who have, have this wonderful, godly foundation laid in their lives by their parents. But when they become parents, instead of passing that godly heritage and foundation onto their kids, they become spotty in their church attendance. And they begin to compromise with the evil that they allow into their house, right? Things that their parents would have never allowed them to be exposed to. And what they don't seem to realize is that they're setting their kids up for failure because their kids won't be able to enter into their teen years and then into their adult years being as biblically as equipped as they were in order to successfully navigate all of the temptations that the world is going to throw at them and the world is going to throw temptation at them. You know, kids today are faced with greater temptations than any of us had faced when, when we were young kids and young adults. The temptation, the pull of the world is so great now in, in the hearts and lives of kids. The world is actively working to deter our kids from coming to Jesus through things like video games, cartoons, television programs, movies, music. The enemy is actively trying to keep kids from coming to Jesus by exposing them to pornography. Pornography is a problem in our world. And do you know that the average age a child is first exposed to pornography is 11? That's the average age. And so what that means is that for many kids, they're exposed at, at a much, much earlier age. The enemy would like to take or keep our kids from coming to Jesus by taking them to, you know, some other cursed place. All in an effort to harden their hearts towards God. You know, often you'll hear parents say, you know, I'm going to let my, my kids make their own decision about the spiritual direction, you know, they want to take in life. And boy, you know what, when I hear that, it makes me angry. And I just got to bite my tongue. Because, listen, it's called parenting. You know what? I'm not very smart, but, you know, forgive me. That's like the most idiotic thing I think I've ever heard, right? You don't let your kids make up their own decisions about playing in the street. You don't let your kids make their own decisions whether or not they want to drink bleach or some other household chemical, you know what you do? You slap it out of their hands and say, put that away. And then you put a lock on that door, right? 
The problem with that kind of thinking is that the enemy is actively seeking to sway our kids away from God. And when parents fail to bring their children to God, man, the enemy, he just kicks it in high gear and, and runs with it. No parent who has been raised with a godly childhood should ever deny the same blessing to their own children. Let them wear clothes from goodwill. You know what? Let them miss out on sports and every other activity in the world. Who cares whether or not they have the latest iPhone or not? But do not deny them this. Do not deny children the gathering together of the saints and fellowship in the church. Psalm 127.3 says that children are a heritage from the Lord, right? Every one of them is a gift from God. And God's intent is that every child born into this world would be raised in the things of God. It's not just the older ones, you know, the teenagers that need the Lord. It's the little ones that need him too. And we can be tempted when we think of little kids, and I mean really little kids, you know, we can be tempted to say, how much can they need Jesus? You know what? My one-year-old grandson, Florian, I'm up there in Washington, and I'm watching him, and he's processing life right now. He's trying to make sense of the world all around him. Little kids are processing life so very fast. Our three-year-old grandson, Noah, he's speaking two languages. He's learning his alphabet in two languages. He's counting and learning math in two languages, right? He's learning to spell his name. He's having to learn to handle conflicts with kids, other kids that he's interacting with. And he already has little things that he's afraid of in his young life. And little kids, little kids have their own sinful tendencies uh, in their flesh that come from the fall from Adam and Eve. Kids are processing a very large world around them on a daily basis. You know, one of the most precious experiences in life, at least in my mind, is for a parent or a grandparent who's been raised in the things of the Lord. And you know, when their kids or grandkids are learning to ride a bike or when they put on skates for the first time, you know, or they're running down a hill and they're running so fast, you know, they can't keep up and they fall and they skin their knees. One of the great experiences in life is to pick that kid up and say to them, you know what, let's pray for your owies. You know, Often, usually, you can scoop them up while they're still sucking in air before the really big cry, you know, right? And you begin to pray to Jesus to help them with that skinned knee. And it's just amazing to watch. It's actually supernatural because that prayer will do so much more for that child to calm their heart, to settle them down. Then, you know, Anything like, let daddy, let mommy, let grandma, grandpa kiss your boo-boo will ever do for them. And you know why? It's because you're putting their focus on things that are eternal, 
right? They're learning to process an immediate need and the light of God's love and the light of God's power. And what they learn at a very young age, mind you, with that skin knee, they'll one day do with much larger problems that are coming into their lives as adults. As disciples and followers of Jesus, we must not get in the way of our kids and grandkids of coming to Jesus. We need to be bringing them continually to Jesus. Well, thirdly, what this passage of Scripture speaks to uh, those who are not saved this morning, Jesus says in verse 14, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Again, we want to glance at Mark's gospel to get a fuller picture of what Jesus said. Mark 10, 15. Jesus says, As surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Right? So what does Jesus mean by that? Very often as adults, we think that we, you know, that kids need to learn everything from us and we have nothing to learn from them. And because of that mindset, you know what? We can fall victim to uh, focusing our, our attention on moving kids from that lower plane of childhood into that higher plane of adulthood, right? But Jesus declares in this passage, Mark 10, uh, 15, Jesus declares in this passage that kids have much to teach us as adults. You know, what they have to teach us actually concerns the most important thing in life, and that is how to enter into the kingdom of God, how to be saved. And Jesus is talking about salvation here, how one gains entrance into God's family and ultimately into heaven. And Jesus says, in order to be saved, we have to receive the kingdom of God as a little child, right? How do we do that? Well, the first area kids tend to excel over uh, adults in receiving a salvation is this area of humility and their willingness to accept authority. A young child is used to the fact that they're under another's authority, right? That they're under authority of, of a person who's older and wiser than they are, principally their parents. But as adults, we can think we're wiser than everyone else. And we can be hesitant to allow ourselves to come under the authority of another person, even when that authority is God Almighty himself, right? It takes a child's humility to acknowledge my sin and my need for a savior. The second area that kids excel over adults is that they possess a, humili a humility that is demonstrated in a teachability, right? They're teachable, right? They have a willingness to openly confess. They don't know everything about something, and they're even willing to confess they don't know something about everything, right? Kids are eager to learn and ask questions. If you have kids or have spent any time with kids, you know this is true, right? In their hunger and thirst to uh, learn, they have a favorite question. Why? Why is the sky blue 
Daddy? Why is the tree green, Mommy? Why don't dogs like cats? You know, and, and they have a favorite follow-up question to your answers, and that is, why? Or how come? Right? You know, kids can drive you crazy with the amount of questions they ask, right? But often, when we become adults, we're less likely to admit that we don't know anything about a specific topic. You know, we're often not willing to be instructed by someone else concerning a particular issue. And this is especially true, you know, in regards to eternal salvation. There are many, many people who just disregard the Bible and are very content to remain ignorant in regards to salvation and the things of God. You know, they'd rather remain ignorant than confess their ignorance of it, right? Thirdly, the third area kids tend to excel over adults is an area where they lack pride. They lack pride. Very often when an adult has attained some level of money or accomplishment in life or has gained some you know, degree of power in life, you know, their pride becomes a very, very severe obstacle to their salvation. Are you suggesting that I have to confess that I'm a sinner in need of a savior? Do you have any idea who I am? You know what? Do you know the people that I run with? If I were to show that kind of weakness, you know what would happen to me? Do you know what that would do to my reputation? You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, you should wait till you have, you know, achieved some level of financial security or some measure of success in life before you make a decision about the spiritual direction you want to take in your life. You know, the only problem with that, Jesus says right here, is that there's never a more clear-headed time in our lives related to that decision than when we're a child. Because what happens is by the time we become adults, we're carrying so much baggage, it clouds that decision for us. The fourth thing, the fourth area where kids tend to excel over adults is in the area of trust. They're just trusting people. You know, they have to trust people. They're used to trusting their parents for food, for clothing, for shelter, for everyday life. Trust is just something that's part of their world. You know, how many times have you played the game where you get your kids to jump off something and you catch them? You know, uh, their trust in you overcomes their fears. You know, I love playing that game with our kids. You know, I'd put them on the edge of the pool and I'd back away from them, a little bit deep, you know, up to my chest, over, way over their head for them. And I would I'd encourage them to jump. See how far you could jump. And I would always stand further away than what they could actually jump, right? But they always trusted me to catch them. You know, and there were times, there were times when they started playing the game before I was ready to play. <laughs> you know, I used to, I used to love taking my kids and throwing them up into the air. You ever do that? You know, back then when I was a lot younger, man, I could launch them. 
they could be up in the air for a long time. You know, we do it over and over again, and catching them was no problem for me. You know, I don't toss my grandkids nearly as high in the air. Uh, but you know what? They trust me just the same. It's funny, now that I'm a little bit older, after a few times of tossing the grandkids up, after just a couple of times tossing them up, I'm ready to quit and get them something to eat. You know, let's, let's go take a snack. You know, the point is that my kids and my grandkids, they never thought I wouldn't be there to catch them. They trusted me, and I caught them every time. Often, when we become adults, we can really struggle with trusting others because we've been hurt so many times, and we've learned that people aren't always very trustworthy. So we work hard to do it ourselves. We become self-made men, self-made women, and we carry that attitude over to God right, who's infinitely more trustworthy than the best of men. Some people get to the place in life where they say, I can't survive another disappointment. You know, I, I can't give my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength to another thing to just be let down again. I just can't do it. So they're hesitant when it comes to God. But you need to know God will never fail you. God will never let you down. God will never disappoint you. The fifth thing, and finally, we, we need to model children in their willingness to excitedly and gratefully receive a free gift from those that love them. Kids love receiving gifts. You know, they love receiving gifts from those people that love them. With an adult, you know, what adult has to do in modeling this childlike faith is to willingly, eagerly, with excitement and gratitude, receive the free gift of salvation that's offered to them by a loving, loving Heavenly Father. How does a person receive the free gift of salvation? Just by simply coming to the place in your life where you recognize that you're a sinner. We're all sinner. We're all less than perfect, right? And we just need to agree with God by saying, God, I confess my situation is exactly as you say it is. I'm a sinner. And I do believe that my sin has kept me from a relationship with you. But I also believe that you loved me so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and pay the penalty my sins deserved. And I believe he was buried and rose again the third day. And I believe that, that he's your gift to me as a savior. And today, at this very moment, I choose to turn from my sin. I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior. And I choose to give you control of my life to use for your glory, however you see fit, Use it for your glory. I'm yours. And when a person does that, when a person uh, receives Jesus Christ by faith as a gift of God's salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into their life and they're born again, the Bible says. You know, past sins are washed away and they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's good news. It's good news. 
and they begin a personal relationship and a walk with God who will be overwhelmingly faithful. We sang about his faithfulness this morning. God is overwhelmingly faithful to us in this life, and he'll be faithful to us in the life to come. It's there for the taking. You just have to want it and just have to take it to yourself, receive it. How many people, many, many people today all around the world will receive that free gift today and become Christians? You know, it's so great. Um, the kingdom is free. Jesus died so you could go to heaven. With kids, you tell them about going to heaven. They want to go. You tell them about living with Jesus in heaven. They want to go. You know, the only worry a kid has is something like, do we have to take a nap there? Yeah, that's all they're concerned about. So I just want to ask you today, if you're here and you're not saved, if you're watching online and you're not saved, if a kid can receive the kingdom of heaven, if a kid, when they hear about the free gift of salvation, can want it, what's hanging you up? You know, have you been so hardened by this world and by our culture, you think you're above the forgiveness of God Almighty? My challenge to you, if you've never come to Christ, is to come. All your excuses are removed. Come. If a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old can come, what's holding you back? Jesus said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. That same kingdom is offered to everyone today that doesn't know Jesus Christ. If you'll just receive it as a child would. What good is a gift if it's not received? A child will never leave a gift unopened. This Christmas, just leave one gift. Hey, whose who's is that? You know, a child will never leave a gift unopened. A childlike faith will not allow this gift of God to go unopened. This passage, Matthew 19, 13 through 15, this passage teaches us as parents and grandparents, bring your kids and grandkids to Jesus. It teaches us as disciples that we're not to hinder kids or anybody for that matter from coming to Jesus. We should be actively participating and bringing them to Jesus and to those who are unsaved today, become like a child today. Accept the free gift of salvation and enter into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you in it. We see the depth of your love. Lord, that you would send your, your son holy, righteous, God Almighty, Son of God, God the Son, to die on the cross, to take my penalty, to take my penalty, to take our penalty. Lord, I just pray this morning, if anybody's here that doesn't know you, anybody uh, watching online, that God, that they would hear your voice calling them to come and that they would respond and receive Lord, who are we that you should be mindful of us? What a blessing it is to be part of your family, to have our sins washed away, 
to become a new creation in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.